Hello to our listeners. This is Morgan, Isha, Michael, and Vincent. Here with the main political stories of the week. Let's start with the most recent and tragic event, and one that could permanently alter the Supreme Court and the upcoming presidential election. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away from metastatic cancer at age 87 last Friday. She was a feminist icon, a legal role model, and a determined advocate for those who needed a voice. RBG fought for gender equality in her 27 years on the Supreme Court. In addition, the media caught President Trump's genuine reaction to first hearing about her death, and he spoke with more poise and humility than he has shown in his most recent media coverages. Quote, she led an amazing life. She was an amazing woman, whether you agree or not, unquote, Trump says. RBG's death also now sparks a major dilemma. Who will fill her seat now that she's gone? Some of her last words to her granddaughter was as follows. Quote, my most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Unquote. How will the certain-to-be fierce fight for the next seat unfold? Only time will tell. But for now, let's have a moment of silence for a truly wonderful woman who never stopped fighting. Thank you. Next, we are all aware of the devastating fires that are spreading across California right now, especially with the thick smoke preventing us from going outside. However, let's explore the politics behind these fires and how political leaders, including President Donald Trump, are responding or not responding to climate change appeals. In an interview with President Trump and Gavin Newsom, the California state governor, President Trump claims, I don't think science knows why the fires were caused, and instead blames them on poor forest management. President Trump has a history of ignoring climate change and environmental concerns, believing them to be made up. Now, as we begin to see fires appearing in Oregon as well, bringing more deaths and missing persons reports, the country is questioning whether President Trump will ever address these climate concerns. Moving on to our next story, on Monday, September 14th, Inspector General of the Department of Homeland Security received a whistleblower complaint about, quote, jarring medical neglect occurring at an ICE detention center in Georgia. The complaint was filed by Project South, the Georgia Detention Watch, and other advocacy groups on behalf of Don Wooten, a nurse employed by the detention center. Wooten stated that an alarming number of young women at the center were recipients of hysterectomies, and most were being coerced or given the procedure without consent. While the complaint does not disclose the exact number of women who received the procedure, Wooten said that everybody's uterus cannot be that bad. One detainee in an interview with Project South said, quote, it was like they're experimenting with our bodies. In addition to these alarming allegations of forced and unsafe sterilizations, the complaint also expressed several concerns about poor handling of the coronavirus at ICE facilities. Advocacy groups, human rights groups, even politicians such as Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Mississippi Representative Benny Thompson have called for DHS to investigate Don Wooten's complaints and their implications for ICE facilities across the southern border. Azadeh Shahani, a human rights attorney at Project South, said, For years, advocates in Georgia have raised red flags about the human rights violations occurring inside the Erwin County Detention Center. Ms. Wooten's whistleblowing disclosures confirm what detained immigrants have been reporting for years. Welcome to our international news section. Russian President Vladimir Putin has recently shown support after a long meeting with the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko. But let's look at the background information to know why this meeting is important. Recently, hundreds of thousands of protesters have taken to the streets in Belarus after what was allegedly a rigged election in the small Eastern European nation. 
Government officials report Lukashenko, now a six-term incumbent, winning with a landslide victory of 80% of the vote. However, prominent outside observers such as the EU and U.S. State Department have slammed the election results, saying the results were rigged. Tensions remain high as Lukashenko's Security Council has been detaining members of opposition groups. Now, as Lukashenko meets with Putin, this meeting is symbolic of Russia's support of the incumbents. Belarus and Russia have close ties. They are integrated on economic, social, and foreign policy terms through the Union State Treaty signed in 1999. And so, the conflict in Belarus represents more than simply a rigged election. It also represents the struggle for soft power in Eastern Europe. While Russia supports Lukashenko and claims the election was fair, the EU and US disagree. It's essentially a battle for validity between NATO and Russia. Whether the election was fairly held or not, it's clear that democracy is at stake in Belarus, as the story continues unraveling. Welcome to our main feature. We will be discussing an issue that is quite prevalent with the election coming up, mail-in voting. With COVID-19 raging amid various racial protests across the country, it can seem very tempting to never leave the safety of one's house. That's where mail-in balloting comes into play. A mail-in ballot is a voting ballot that is sent through the mail, enabling voters across the country to vote from inside their homes and merely send in their votes through mail. You might also hear people call this absentee balloting, which basically is a more specific form of mail-in ballots. This refers to a ballot that voters specifically request when they are unable to vote in person, for various reasons such as disabilities, sicknesses, or any other excuse that the state would accept as reasonable enough to warrant a mail-in ballot. Nine states will automatically send out mail-in ballots, and 34 states will allow COVID-19 to be cited as a valid request for a mail-in ballot. However, you would be surprised to know that seven states will not take COVID-19 as a valid reason. Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Carolina, Indiana, and New York. It's interesting to see which states favor mail-in balloting and which are more hesitant to rely on mail to elect the new president. Opinions on mail-in voting generally fall within party lines. According to Pew Research Center, Biden supporters are almost 40% more likely than Trump supporters to want to conduct mail-in voting for the 2020 election. So, since the planned expansion of mail-in voting in the 2020 election is meant to protect at-risk citizens from exposure, Democrats and Republicans seem to hold diverging viewpoints on this issue because of their separate ideas about the severity of COVID-19. Democrats are known to hold more concerns about coronavirus spread and flattening the curve. Densely populated urban areas tend to skew Democratic, so they are generally more exposed on a widespread level to COVID-19 severity. Republicans, on the other hand, are less concerned about the virus than they are about establishing individual rights. They also tend to be more concentrated in rural areas, which typically have less widespread COVID-19 infections. Federal mail-in voting is also seen as an expansion of government, where Democrats tend to prefer more governmental control over policies than Republicans do. Therefore, the support of mail-in voting has become politicized in America. So you were highly critical of mail-in voting, mailing your mail-in ballots for voting. I think mail-in voting ago, is horrible. You voted by it's mail corrupt. in Florida's election last month. There's a lot of dishonesty going along with mail-in voting, mail-in ballots. That was the president on an MSNBC broadcast of a press conference in April.
President Trump has also been opposed to mail-in voting because he claims it gives Democrats an unfair advantage. On Fox and Friends in April, he even criticized vote-by-mail proposals in Congress, saying they, the Democrats, had a level of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. People who support mail-in ballots tend to see the system of voting as crucial for both an accessible and secure election. During COVID-19, voting in person could be a huge public health issue, especially as many poll centers get overbooked during election season and voters will have to wait in line for an extended duration together. Accessibility for mail-in ballots holds true. Even in non-pandemic times, Colorado saw an increase in voter turnout of almost 10% when the state switched to all mail-in voting. However, there are some concerns about using mail-in voting for the 2020 election infrastructure, and voter fraud. The first concern of infrastructure is, obviously, that the U.S. has never held a national all-mail election before. Even if there was only a 50% voter turnout in the 2020 election, that would still be 78 million ballots sent purely through the U.S. Postal Service. This poses a major concern as late ballots coming in would simply render a vote completely invalid. Next. Politicians, namely Republican officials, have expressed concerns about the likelihood of a corrupt election due to mail-in voting, as ballots could easily be tampered with in the time it takes to vote, ship, deliver, etc. In fact, a local New Jersey election in May that was held entirely by mail had almost 20% of voter ballots rejected due to potential fraud. This is what President Trump said at a press conference on August 12th. It'll be the greatest rigged election in history. It'll be the greatest fraud ever perpetrated. To look at the implications of implementing mail-in voting on a larger scale in the future, we can turn to states that have already transitioned to 100% vote by mail, such as Colorado. Colorado elections see judges from both major parties tasked with verifying every voter's signature on every ballot before they count them. These judges are observed by appointed election watchers. If the signature doesn't match the one on file, the ballot is set aside for further investigation. Ultimately, voter fraud with mail-in voting is minuscule, with data from the Heritage Foundation, a conservative organization, finding only nine instances of voter fraud out of millions of ballots cast in Colorado. Colorado since universal vote by mail was adopted in 2013. Next, to give you some more insight on mail-in voting, we have a special guest who was gracious enough to sit down for an interview with us and who is uniquely qualified to talk about this topic. He has been San Mateo County's chief elections officer for the past decade. Please give a very warm welcome to Mark Church. So I think we just want to start by introducing everyone for our podcast listeners. So, um, I'm Morgan. <clears throat> I'm Isha. And I'm Michael. And I'm Mark Church, Chief Elections <laughs> Officer. So, as Chief Elections Officer of San Mateo County, what exactly does your job entail? And do you foresee your duties changing as a result of COVID-19? Elections... Uh, our job is to make democracy happen. Uh, as the uh, chief elections officer, uh, my goal is to increase voter registration and to administer fair, accurate, and transparent elections. In short, we're, we're, we are responsible for conducting elections for some 68 jurisdictions throughout the county. Uh, that has uh, become even more complex recently because some of the cities have opted to do district elections rather than electing their city council members at large. Uh, 
and also as a result of uh, Senate Bill 415, all jurisdictions now are required to move their elections from odd number uh, years to even numbered years uh, when the president is elected to increase voter participation. So um, the result is we will be conducting the largest election um, in the history of the, uh, of the county. Uh, we recently celebrated uh, National Voter Registration Day, and, and at the same time, uh, we uh, uh, are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution, uh, granting women the right to vote. And the passage of that amendment uh, marked the largest expansion of democracy in the history of our country. And today, that battle uh, for the right to uh, vote continues uh, to ensure that all disenfranchised voters have equal access to the ballot box. Here in San Mateo County, we now have 430,000 registered voters, the highest number of registered voters in the history of the county. 85% of all eligible voters are registered to vote, uh, compared to just 70% 10 years ago. And the success of the increased uh, voter registration is in large part uh, due to our voter education and outreach program, which is recognized throughout the state as uh, setting the, uh, the standard of excellence. There will be 225 candidates running for 163 seats on 133 different ballot styles. This is the highest number of ballot styles that we've ever had for a presidential general election. And when translated to English and Spanish and Chinese, the total number of ballot styles that we will have will be 399. And uh, in this particular election, there will be 60 jurisdictions participating on the ballot. That's the highest number we've ever had at any one time. And it will get higher in the future. There will be 65 contests and offices, 11 local measures, and 12 statewide uh, propositions. So that gives you a little flavor of what we are challenged with. It's a, it's a huge responsibility, and um, but um, we, I think, uh, perform, perform uh, well, and uh, we are expecting a, a successful uh, upcoming election. Um, so uh, our project is specifically about uh, mail-in ballots. Um, so our question was, how has um, expanding mail-in votes been? And uh, is it difficult with like worries of overloading postal infrastructure? Yeah, great question. Um, I think whenever you change the election model, there are always challenges. And we experienced those challenges in 2015 uh, when we became the first county in the state to conduct an all-mail ballot election. So we really led the way in that area. Uh, previously, we had a traditional, a traditional polling place election model. And based on our uh, successful experience in 2015, the state 
adopted the Voters' Choice Act, which gave all counties the right to con uh, conduct vote-by-mail elections. And having conducted vote-by-mail elections since 2015, we really are familiar and experienced with administering uh, all-mailed ballot uh, elections. Um, our vote-by-mail election model provides many options for voters to cast their ballots, um, and that really is ideal uh, in this particular COVID-19 environment that we're in. Uh, ballots can be returned in the mail uh, in one of 39 ballot drop boxes located throughout the county or at any one of 45 vote centers uh, located throughout the county. Um, I want to say that um, our experience with the uh, U.S. Postal Service really has been excellent. Uh, they've been our partner in uh, all-mail ballot elections since 2015. And uh, they've been highly responsive and uh, collaborative. I know there's a lot of um, discussion in the uh, uh, at the national level about uh, the reliability of the Postal Service, but we really have had uh, our experiences. We really have had a great uh, working relationship with them, and uh, they have proven to be uh, to they have proven to be reliable and responsive to our requests. Uh, we do meet with them regularly to review procedures and issues for the upcoming election. And we also meet weekly as a group with the Secretary of State, uh, the U.S. Postal Service, and other registrars of voters to address issues of statewide importance. And uh, as I say, we've been assured by regional USPS officials, um, and I spoke to them uh, recently as well, that there will be no interruption of service in San Mateo County, despite what you may be hearing uh, on the news in other parts of the country. And I can only speak to San Mateo County, but that has been our experience. Great, thank you so much for that uh, response. Um, so we were just wondering, as an elected official, uh, what are your thoughts on mail-in voting becoming politicized and its possible effects on voter turnout for the upcoming election, especially considering the pandemic? Well, I, I certainly uh, uh, do not like to see uh, mail-in voting politicized. This is an election model. Um, I think whenever we bring inject politics into uh, the picture, it has the, uh, the effect of uh, impacting uh, voter confidence and a, a sense of uh, integrity in the election and the electoral process. Um, and uh, so um, I, I think there is really no place for politicizing the various election models that are available. Um, there certainly is a, a good reason for uh, voting by mail now uh, uh, in light of the national health emergency that we find ourselves in. And uh, uh, there is no safer place to vote than in the convenience of your own home. Um, and um, so um, uh, we, uh, we, we do um, think that uh, voter turnout uh, will 
will be uh, uh, high uh, in the upcoming election, notwithstanding the pandemic. And we've uh, implemented a number of safety precautions uh, at our vote centers to ensure that all the vote centers um, are safe um, and secure. Okay, thank you so much. And I we don't wanna take up too much of your time. So I think we're yes. just gonna ask one last question. Um, sure. So are a lot of the concerns is that kind of vote is gonna be happening, sorry, um, voter fraud is gonna be happening with um, mail-in voting. So how would you address people who bring that up as a concern? So yes, I understand and that has been another uh, discussion at the national level. Um, the primary means of uh, fraud protection is signature verification. Every single signature uh, on the envelope is reviewed by a human being, not by software. And if the signature is not a match with what we have on file, uh, it will go through multiple levels of review and challenge. And if at the end of those various challenges, the signature still cannot be uh, reconciled when compared to the voter signature history, that we have because signatures evolve over time and we keep the history of each voter's signature, uh, we will then directly contact the voter, reach out to the voter to give them an opportunity uh, to come in and update their signature. And um, so we cure the defect if there's a mismatch by allowing them to come in and update their signature in our file and uh, their votes will then be, their ballot will then be counted. Um, I want to uh, say that the idea that mail voting versus in-person voting, uh, that they have different levels of security is really false. Um, both are based on signature verification, with the only difference that um, is really when the signature is inspected. Uh, at the vote center, they're inspected when the voter checks in um, and um, uh, uh, when they are received in the mail, they're checked when we scan them and, and compare them in the office. So that addresses the issue of um, one concern about, I think, voter uh, fraud and the security of the ballots. The other really relates to cybersecurity, and um, you know whether our whether the election process is safe and secure. And I just want to assure uh, all of you uh, that in San Mateo County, uh, the uh, vote by mail election model with vote centers and 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 ballot drop box locations is among the safest and securest. Uh, in the state and, and really the nation. Uh, with respect to cybersecurity, our department, along with the uh, Secretary of State's office and various federal agencies, have established an aggressive cybersecurity program that has protected our elections critical infrastructure. Our system is protected by the county firewall, and we are members of the Department of Homeland Security's uh, EI-ISAC and MS-ISAC. These partnerships provide immediate and accurate updates on cyber incidents and 
mitigative measures that can be implemented to neutralize all forms of cyber attacks. So with these efforts, uh, voters can be assured that our election systems uh, and uh, confidential voter information are safe and secure. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, and we hope you learned something new along with us. To close out our time, we just want to leave you with a couple of words that Mr. Church left us with. Depending on your age, if you're 16 or 17, you can pre-register to vote. Uh, If you're 18, you can register. Our democracy really depends on all, everyone being involved and well-informed.